Hey everybody, I'm Peter. I'm a cuddly little kitty. He's a shaggy and ornery wolf. It's Mike. Welcome to Rebels Rebels, the podcast that explores the Star Wars expanded universe through an episode-by-episode deep dive into the Star Wars animated series, Rebels. Our guests today, this is exciting, new guests, fellow Star Wars tabletop adventurers, Mark Eberhardt from Coruscant Knights and Andrew Armstrong the Third from Dicey Cantina. How y'all doing? Doing well. You're doing good. How about you? Doing good. good. Yeah, it's uh, we're. I think we're especially pumped to have you guys on because as we're wrapping up season four, it's it'd be good to mention one. You're probably going to be our only new guests this season, mostly returners, um, because mm-hmm. you guys do a D and D Star Wars that we listen to. And uh, we, uh, we it just it's the path we're heading down is as we're doing D and D we're just probably going to transition to that after Rebels and we're pumped to have you guys here. Very yeah. cool. I'm excited too because it's I mean I'm not super familiar when I listen to your podcast about so explain so explain to the people why don't you introduce your shows kind of what the story is and you know we play D and D proper mm-hmm. you play. I don't even know what it's called. It's it's a different type of Star Wars actual it play. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. So my show is Coruscant Knights. Um, takes place during the Clone Wars. Interestingly enough, I'm a much bigger Rebels fan than Clone Wars. Nice. Um, it is an anthology show. Each uh, set of three or four episodes follows one character on their journey. Um. And Coruscant Knights and also Dicey Cantina, we both use Fantasy Flight Games um, Star Wars RPG. So they've got three different systems. They've got Edge of the Empire, which follows more of the scum and villainy Mm. track. Um, Age of Rebellion, which is obviously the Rebellion. And then Force and Destiny, which is uh, Jedis and plural plural of Jedi. Jedi. Yeah, I think it's Uh, plural of Jedi. (laughs) Jedi is Jedi's. Yeah, Jedi and Force users. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, That's that's what's most interesting to (laughs) me, so uh, I'm excited about this episode. Yeah. But it it, uh, instead of using the traditional like D20, D10, D8, all that stuff, um, they have special dice with different symbols. So instead of just getting like a pass-fail, you get um, pass with an advantage yeah. you you did it and something else cool happened or you <laughs> failed but something cool happened yeah which i really yep. like strange dice it scares yeah. me strange dice with weird weird pictures on them <laughs> the whole new language yeah. to learn uh, yeah unlike unlike basic which is not a whole new language to learn <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's fun i've checked out both of your shows it's we really enjoy it and y'all have supported our D stuff and I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that too. So welcome. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. that. Well, stuff. Here's a here's a here's a super quick story about my experience with Coruscant Nights. Is mm-hmm. um, I live in a very foggy town, and mm-hmm. I used to before uh, the pandemic drive drive to work real early in the morning just to beat traffic and get to my office. And they would leave at like four thirty, and it was dark and it was foggy. And Coruscant Nights has this vibe for. Anyone who hasn't here that sometimes can feel a little like Blade Runner just because it's in Coruscant and it's Star Wars, it's the mm-hmm. future. 
And it was just the perfect morning kind of spooky driving show. Cool. I don't know. It's I don't know if that's ever the vibe you guys are going <laughs> for, but it uh Yeah, it is absolutely the vibe I'm going <laughs> for. It definitely resonates. Andrew, when does your <laughs> when does yours take place and kind of what's the high level story oh, yeah. of Dicey Cantina? So the high level of Dicey Cantina is it's uh I steal a lot of ideas from Mark, but <laughs> uh so I'm I, an anthology as well. Um and I'm set in the during the Galactic Civil War. So kind of the you know, right after New Hope. And we focus in on telling the stories of a band of rebels and misfits who are centered around the Dicey Cantina, which is a bar on the planet Druckenwell. And so mm-hmm. instead of being, you know, galactic spanning for Star Wars, we kind of focused in on one planet and one set of problems to 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 do that with. So mm, that's helpful for us. Yep. Everyone should check it out. But right now we are discussing rebels. Yeah. And I am excited to jump into this. Mike, are you ready to I'm do ready. this? I'm ready. Andrew, Mark, you guys ready to jump in? Yeah. I'm ready. All right. So let's mix up a quick space refresher and recap what happened in episode four of season four. Flight. Oh, I didn't write down what it was called. I know it started with flight. I was about to, flight was about to say defender. flight of the navigator, which is probably why they did that. <laughs> All right, let's mix up a quick space refresher and recap what happened in episode four of season four: flight of the tide defender or f- fudge. It's just <laughs> I'm keeping yeah, this all in. I hope in. you know. <laughs> season four, episode. Oh my god! <laughs> just how about this? I'm just gonna do this: flight of the defender. There you go. The ghost crew scouts an Imperial airfield where the new TIE Defender is being tested. After seeing in flight, Sabine suggests stealing its flight data recorder to obtain more detailed intel. Just then, Grand Admiral Thrawn appears to witness a combat demonstration of the new fighter. Cornered, Sabine steals the fighter to get her and Ezra to safety. But the Empire activates the TIE Defender's kill switch. And they end up stranded in the hills of Lothal. Downed, they hide the TIE Defender's hyperdrive in some rocks with the guidance of a white Lothcat. Just then, while trying to evade Imperial search parties, Ezra catches a glimpse of a white Lothwolf, a rare predatory species thought to be extinct for a long time. Long time. Eventually, the Lothwolf appears before him, Puts Sabine under a puts Sabine under with a with breathing sorry by breathing the word sleep and carries them both back to their friends only to disappear as mysteriously as it appeared leaving Ezra with the strange parting words of doom. All right, so that's basically what happened. And just a quick word on the theme for this episode uh, with everything that's going on, all the interesting connections. The theme for this episode is. Nexus and a quick word on Nexus. Nexus is basically when things converge and meet. It's the connection between many things. Beautiful. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, there's a couple quick fun things, little throwbacks. We see that Kanan and Hera are based in Ezra's old house, which is cute. And also, we see Volt Scurris, who we met in the Antilles extraction episode. He was the lead dude at the Sky Strike Academy. 
But I think probably the most interesting thing that we should jump right into are the Loath Wolves. Yeah. I mean, it's freaking cool, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you know that we have seen pictures of Loath Wolves throughout the entire animated series, not just in Rebels, but also in Clone Wars? No, they're in the Clone Wars too? Yeah, so as they mentioned that no one's seen any Loath Wolves for a hundred years, and this isn't, I mean, you would assume this is canonical, that Loath Wolves are native to Lothal, so it's mm-hmm. not like they're all over the galaxy, because <laughs> their name's Loath Wolf. But um, when we see the Mortis arc in Clone Wars, there's that cool, trippy star dome thing that they have that has those cool lit up lines and pictures and constellations. And the father is standing there talking in his little chamber. And there is a picture of a loath wolf in that, in the constellations on Mm. the roof. That's really cool. So I I thought it was for some reason, right. When you were like, do you know, we've seen these before. I thought it was a joke. I thought you're going to be like, yeah, princess Mononoke. (laughs) 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 Yeah. No, it's, it's it's cool because it, it makes me then think about like, there's no official word on this, but obviously Dave Filoni loves wolves. That is canon. Um, was it just like, hey, let's put some cool wolves in Clone Wars, and then he figured out the, that connection later? Was he thinking about this stuff as he was thinking about the Mortis arc and how they would impact stories in the future? Did George Lucas have anything to do with the Loath Wolves originally? Those are all kind of cool things that we don't necessarily have answers for, but I like. Oh, I was about. hoping that you had answers. I thought you were leading the questions <laughs> into the answers. It's like I want to know. I know, right? It's actually. I'm. I'm really glad we don't. You. Someone probably here probably has the answer. I don't know if we have an official word from Baloney or one of those Rebel Recons on the meaning of the Loth Wolf, but I really don't want one. Um. Mm-hmm. I have I have my own interpretations. I think we probably, and I'm sure we're going to walk through each what we kind of think it is here. But um, I, this is one of the things I love. This is this is for me, and I'm I'm jumping the gun. Pinnacle Star Wars and the beauty of the animated series right here is is moments mm-hmm. like this and new new interactions like this and just new relationships mm-hmm. like this and. Um, I I don't want it over explained. I think part of it is the mystery and the fog of it. And I don't know. I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. I had the exact same thoughts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, and I like, cause when we're saying that there aren't answers for this, it is, um, they're being purposely mysterious about it, which I think is good. Mm-hmm. Star Wars tends to over explain things sometimes, which I obviously like because I'll go on a deep dive for dive for seven hours about, <laughs> You know, the droid that fixed the pod racer in episode one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, I have a quote from Dave Filoni at an interview at a fan expo panel. He compared the Loath Wolves to the Bendu, saying it's neither good nor bad in terms of the force. Um, But he included it not only because he loves wolves, but because of the cultural perception of wolves as guides. And some people see wolves as dangerous and bad. Some cultures see them as wise and guides, spiritual guides. And he said that the loath wolf is a natural element of the force on Lothal. And whether the white loath wolf is real is up to debate. So they're purposely leaving it kind of fuzzy, which I think is really cool. I like that. Um, Yeah, there are a lot of things I like about that. That 
again, that's not too over explaining of like, oh, yeah, the Lof Lof represents uh, the convergence of man's <laughs> greatest fear. And, you know, it's like not it's not like this over explanation, but I, I like what that leaves up for interpretation, which to me is what I gravitate towards almost automatically. And what, you know, it's it's almost a step between the force and landscape, which I think George Lucas was really big mm-hmm. on, right? Mm-hmm. But um, so the Lothwolf is not, you know, more than the guardian or, you know, the guide to the force. It's almost the protector of Lothal or the personification of Lothal. Because just an episode ago, we arrived back on Lothal to it in complete ruin and destruction. So kind of mm-hmm. this natural personification of Lothal. It's like, man, I, I didn't. I, I wanted to get real nerdy and start writing up out about. I don't know if anyone's ever read um, the Willa Cather, who wrote like My Antonia and uh, Neighbor Rosiski and The Professor's House. No. She's really good. No. She's really freaking cool. She's one of my favorite authors, and her whole thing is connection to landscape and how critical our human connection to landscape is, and when we're disconnected from it, what that can do. But when we're really in tune with our landscape and where we live, how how much that can bring us life and it's almost like this is Ezra's landscape and his return to Lothal and the Lothwolf's appearance I don't think um you know are a mistake but yeah mm-hmm. right Absolutely. it's like how nature responds to uh the things that we do to the planet you mm-hmm. know um mm-hmm. the the changes that the the empire has uh, the destruction that the empire has wrought onto Lothal by like scavenging all the resources and everything. The the planet is responding. Yeah. This animal yeah. that has not been seen in a hundred years is back yeah. again. Absolutely, yeah, I love that. Especially in the last episode, we talked about with all the destruction how Lothal has a force energy. It almost has a life force. It's mm-hmm. you know it's a living entity almost, and mm-hmm. so. You know, it's almost like the the antibodies of this were making it sick, and yeah. this is what's happening. Hmm. The other interesting thing is, you know, my wife was watching, and she that's she not that interesting. Just out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell her that you jerk. <laughs> don't 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 tell her. <laughs> it's recorded. Uh, oh no! But she was she was uh, she dips in and out, and so she missed some of like the. This is the connections with Ezra and it's like, oh, why is why does Ezra have this connection? And you know, he not only has a special connection with animals, which we have seen before, but he has a special connection with the actual planet. So I think it's really interesting that Ezra is maybe the only conduit that can mm-hmm. have this nexus, as Mike says, of mm-hmm. both his talents with the force, specifically on animals, and his talents connecting with the planet of, Loth- mm-hmm. of Lothal makes him the perfect wolf guide you know yeah his, yeah it's uh, the, this this analogy i don't love because it's uh, it's it's contingent upon solecism which i, I would don't want to isolate anyone but it's the an interesting mm-hmm. connection I, I was seeing was and i'm i'm not catholic but right on if you are um is that john the baptist um had this there was this story that he had this weird connection with animals and anywhere he went animals would follow him and i think about ezra in the beginning of the episode with all just the little cats just surrounding him and the 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 one-to-one there being that john the baptist was the um 
was the the forerunner of of Christ, right? He came before the Savior, and he kind of helped pave the way for you know the things mm-hmm. he was going to do. So I suppose if you were making connections, and they were born around the same time, the point I'm making is Ezra and Luke were born three days apart, um, and Luke mm-hmm. does a lot of a lot of work. I don't know if it's work that you know Ezra helped forerun, but still. Um, Maybe there's something there. Maybe not. Maybe that's just total horse crap. Actually, I think that there is, and I'll, I'll I'll tie that in a little bit later when we talk about the tie defender. I think that's a really interesting analogy. Okay, cool. Yeah, me too. And then uh, then I also think it's interesting. <laughs> it works. <laughs> okay, cool. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Was great. Originally, I thought you were going to be like, so as everyone knows, John the Baptist, total wolf guy. When he <laughs> baptized people, he wore a wolf howling at a moon shirt. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to hear how John the Baptist ties into a tie defender <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. Is that what um, he used? Yeah, no, no, no. He would, he would fly around uh, na- Nazarene and just... Oh, man. Yep. Um, a little bit more on the Loth Wolf before we get to that. So I mentioned they were also seen in Rebels in the past. Before we get to that specifically, before we get back to John the Baptist and tie defenders. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. exactly. <laughs> That's the next okay. thing in my notes. Um, but... We saw pictures of them throughout Rebels as well. So in Shroud of Darkness, Ahsoka, Kanan, and Ezra are in a temple, and you can see a depiction of a man of a person riding a loath wolf mm. on the temple wall. And also on an inside man, Thrawn has a bunch of artifacts from Lothal, and one of the artifacts he has is a depiction of a loath wolf. Yeah, you've just described every 40-year-old white man, single white man's room. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Um, And so a little bit of history is that Lothwolves a hundred years ago were a concern for many of Lothal's early settlers and Lothal farmers were known to carry blasters to protect themselves from the Lothwolves. Um, They were depicted in cave paintings made by ancient people on the planet of Lothal and they were named in Lotholite children rhymes. So I'm just saying that because I didn't know people from Lothal were called Lotholites. Oh, yeah, that's I didn't know that. Also, I want I want to know the distinction be, distinction between early settlers and the people who painted the pictures of the wolf wolf. So there's there was people mm-hmm. prior to the settlers who what happened to them? I mean, I'm not you're not the historian yeah. here, but you are the historian here. So tell me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, we might get to that in a future episode. If there is any information, I haven't done any research on it, but I do know a little bit of a spoiler. We will see more of these cave paintings. So I think that would be an interesting thing to dive into what happened to the ancient people of the planet of Lothal. But yeah, it's kind of like Game of Thrones. There were the first men that were kind of magical. And then, you know, modern man came in and killed them all. I'd assume it's something like that. All right. There we go. Yeah. Um, And we also see the white Lothcat. We've talked about them in the past other spiritual guide um, mm. to Padwan Ezra Bridger. Um, and the only new interesting information I found is that the cat sounds are a recording of designer Dave Accord's late cat. R.I.P. That's, that's precious. Dave's cat. I know. That's sweet, right? We all do that. Yep. I've got, <laughs> I've got a bank of cat recordings for, for when I have yeah. both cats and tukas in, in my episodes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
but yeah, I do actually want to move on to the tie defender now. Wait, hold on, hold on. I, I, oh my gosh, there's just so many. I, I feel like I have so many thoughts about the Wolf Wolf. Yeah, I can I? I, I have a little. I have more too. I just didn't want to dwell on it too much. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. It's not dwelling. I, I think it's without the Wolf Wolf. This episode is entirely boring. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I yeah, just to pause us. I, I, the one thing I want to say, and I guess we're gonna let's we'll stay here for a while. It sounds like we're all have some hunger to mm-hmm. talk about Lothwolf's, but is um, I, I mean, come on, right, Princess Mononoke, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Like <laughs> yeah. we, we, we all see it, right? It's there. It's it's yeah. It's a clear. True. It's a clear reference, right? Do you all have favorite pop culture wolves? Do I have a favorite pop? It's probably the Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Uh, along with the Loth Wolves. Yeah. That's, All a, right. that's a great question. I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah. Andrew, do you have a favorite pop culture wolf? I was trying to think of one, um, but I, the answer's already been taken. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's got to be more wolves. There's, there's yeah, it's like culture, the Jungle Book like, wolves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. The Jungle Book is, that's a great one. Um, Mine's the Wolf Pack from NWO oh, in great, WCW Wrestling. Great one. Great one. <laughs> was Sting a part of that? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He came down from the rafters, wow. and we thought that he was going to be the good guy, but then he hit one of the other people with a bat, and he joined the NWO, who were the bad guys, and then he became bad Sting, and he put on red face paint. You're, you're saying that with a condescending tone, but I know you were actually pumped during that. That was like, <laughs> that was, I remember watching that live. It's one, you know, you have, you have those moments throughout your childhood. I'm not even a big wrestling fan. I don't know why this no, sticks out. Yes, you were previously. I, I was we, we when all I was like were. in middle we school. Yeah, I was like a fan like every middle school kid was. Yeah. But like, that's one of those memories. Like, I remember the time I went to Washington with my family on our first road trip. I remember like meeting my wife at a party and then i remember sting coming from the rafters hitting. <laughs> i think it was like kevin nash or something or joining with nwo oh, sounds about right i don't know why but it was very exciting for a seventh grade peter this is this is a weird one this is a weird pop cult i mean it's not super i don't know if you consider this pop culture it's mm-hmm. we'll say it's culture uh my first memory of like because i am i am super fascinated with wolves um Mm -hmm. like i am because let's be honest i'm a white i'm a white man Um, (laughs) uh and i have khakis no i'm just kidding i don't have khakis i gotta get a pair of those Um, you need a dave filoni hat it's like the wolf guy hat dang it um outdone again um Mm -hmm. but the first time i remember like being really interested by a wolf is i don't know if you guys read that book the hatchet ever when you were yeah Mm -hmm. i don't know but there's a a scene where brian is the main character's name and he interact he's he's struggling to survive in the wilderness and to basically he's feeling rejected by the land and there's a chapter where then he sees a pack of wolves walk by and he has this moment where him and a wolf lock eyes and then it's 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 almost a spiritual moment but you know it's a book written for fifth graders so they don't they they keep it pretty lightweight but um and then everything kind of turns around from there but this connection this moment of meeting the wolf and kind of him coming to terms with the landscape and trying to integrate rather than fight it and it's just this pivoting moment and i kept thinking about that during that but um yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. there's so many components of the series that 
hinge on this moment of Ezra mm-hmm. meeting the the Loth Wolf. Yeah. Um, and I kind of had the same thing in my notes about it because as I was taking kind of some notes while watching the episode, I got down to point four, which was Loth Wolves, and then the real <laughs> reason this episode exists. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, but the the rest of it is kind of just dressing. But mm-hmm. the we we have to get introduced to the to the Loth Wolves so we can get the rest of the great series that's to come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in uh, in Rebels Recon they talk about how. This is a turning point for the series, which is really interesting for me mm-hmm. because you would think at this point they're just trying to wrap everything up. So it's kind of wild that this late in the series they're like, oh, here's a completely new thing and we're going to figure <laughs> this out. And you're like, what? Yeah, it's big. Yeah, it was big. And I, I think they personally did a great job with it. And yeah. I'm excited to talk about that stuff in the future. Well, yeah. And, and to the point of like so much of this episode feels like dressing around that. Is there ever anything that happens with Tide Defenders ever again? <laughs> this is yeah. the end of... T- oh, there is. Okay. Well, I think at this point, like, the Tide Defenders are kind of like the MacGuffin. Um, they're like the... This is the big threat. This is the new Death, death Star. This is the... Okay. We, we need to yeah. destroy the factory Got for it. the sake of the galaxy. Kind of thing. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Um... But I mean, I guess if we're if we're gonna finish this out, we can't talk about we can't finish talking about the Lothwolves without discussing Doom. Oh yeah. Um, so I love. I, I don't want to spoil the the theories specifically or anything that we know for a fact. But I will say that I love the theories from before we really knew what was going on. I went back through like all the Reddit threads, and here's just a couple things. So people thought the wolf was reincarnated Depa Balaba or Shakti. Um, since the markings look like hers. Oh, interesting. Um, the wolf, a lot of people thought the wolf said doom D O O M. That's what so I thought. Someone yeah. was like, yeah. Um, that's what a bunch of people think. And they're like, Oh, that means the crew's going to all die before the series over. But if you look in the, with the captions on, it actually says D U M E, which is Kanan's last name. Kanan's real name is Caleb doom. Mm-hmm. Um, People thought it was Bendu. Someone said, I think it's like some Mortis type thing, which was very astute. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people thought it was the reincarnation of, of Ahsoka. So much so that after the episode, and I'll put this in the show notes because I just think it's funny. The Star Wars official account put a picture of Kanan petting the Loth Wolf and then just a big arrow and the words that say, not Ahsoka, <laughs> pointing at the Loth Wolf. That's funny. They were, you know, they were probably really, honestly, they were probably really worried about causing confusion when she, because she has something to do with the next few episodes. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. they're like, oh crap, is that, to me, that's an omission of maybe we, oh, did we fail on something here? Or <laughs> no, or it's just fans, maybe trying to quell fans a bit. Yeah. I, I think part of it is that, um, I don't know this for sure, but the, there has to be some, like, there had to be a meeting where they're like, all right, so the design of this wolf has to be reminiscent in some way of Ahsoka because, like the 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 ears straight up, mm-hmm. really, it's yeah. it looks like the Montrals. Uh, yeah, it, I feel like there's there was a purposeful connection there. Yeah, and I think that's definitely true, and that's one of the reasons because Shakti yeah. is a Tortuga too. So that's why people were making those connections. I also like I don't know if you remember when the when the episodes were coming out. Dave Filoni would make these quick sketches of these mysterious things and just put them on Twitter. Yeah, he was doing that for Mandalorian, too. Yeah, and he did these cool ones of Ahsoka right after Ahsoka died. Um, and when this was all, these episodes were coming out, he's like, 
hey, I got one for is his birthday. He's like, it's my birthday, but I'm giving a present to you. And he just drew a picture of Ahsoka kind of petting the wolf and an owl. And he just writes, points to Ahsoka, says, not the wolf. And then points to the wolf and says, <laughs> wolf. <laughs> I, I love how Dave Filoni's drawings, they're like fine. He's not yeah. like the most amazing artist, but just because he's Dave Filoni, people are like, wow, this is so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'm like, man, eh, we could, you know, I could probably do that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I've got one maybe last thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the reasons that I really enjoy Rebels so much, before Rebels, I had this idea that everybody interacts with the Force in a different way. Mm. Um, and through this show, we get Ezra and his interaction with the animals and his sort of perception of the Force through animals. Um, mm-hmm. And so when we're watching this episode... We, so he's got these loth cats following him and, um, they, he's looking for a distraction. They give him the distraction and mm-hmm. then he looks off into the distance and he sees this, the wolf that like signals him that there's somebody behind him. It's like these, these, uh, force abilities that we know exist the like Ezra would be able to sense that somebody's behind him potentially. Um, mm. it, it goes along with the question of, is that wolf really there? Um, yeah, or is yeah. it just Ezra's perception of the force, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, and again, with, with the cave is he, he, he knows the cave is there and Sabine doesn't see the wolf or mm. see the, the loth cat. Um, did a loath cat lead him to the cave or did the force lead him to the cave? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love uh, that. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's, and I don't, yeah, obviously there's no answer. Yeah. And there shouldn't the, be, an which, <laughs> which I, I love. Um, I think the answer is just yes. Yeah, <laughs> but the answer is yes. Um, but I do really like, because I, I, I could see arguments going either way really easily, but I do really like the idea that it's not there because mm-hmm. I like to then picture, Ezra running with Sabine on his back through the desert going pretending to be the wolf. That's great. Yeah, and I love the idea of everything interacting with the force in its own way, even if you're unknowingly interacting with the force. Um, which is just more of that cool mystical stuff that I freaking love that we get into in these series. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I loved about Rebels as a series as a whole, particularly this last season. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, Star Wars tends towards feeling like sci-fi with having some force kind of, you know, dropped in here and Mm -hmm. there. And as we get further into season four of Rebels, you get this more mystical sense of the force. You get this kind of... Uh, it becomes more of a fantasy story yeah. um, than yeah. than a sci-fi story because Star Wars isn't really sci-fi; it just has the sci-fi trappings to it. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like some of the other components, you know, weigh too heavily on the practical. And you can tell a much better story, I think, for Star Wars when you embrace that fantasy, mystical element of it of the Force. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that goes back to the inception of it too. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, to your point it feels like George Lucas, you know, in being like, this is a Joseph Campbell narrative was like setting the stage for its fantasy mm-hmm. with yeah, sci-fi wrapped around. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Um, the last Easter egg that I have is that in the credits, interestingly, the Loath Wolf is listed at, as voiced by himself. Oh, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheesy. Yeah, well, as some of you may know that throughout the series, that is also how Chopper has yeah. been listed in the series. So I so, think... So it's just Dave Filoni. Yeah, we now know that Dave Filoni did the voice for both the Loath Wolf and Chopper, which I just like that Like Dave's like, wait, wait, so he, he's going to speak, right? Can, can I do the voice? <laughs> I bet he was just so stoked about it. You know, he was also a stormtrooper in this episode. Oh, he was. Yeah. I didn't realize that. One of the ones that hit the cats. Yeah. One of the ones that was going after the cats. Uh, (laughs) I love funny stormtroopers. I feel like I really thought that 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 really for miles. Yeah. Yeah. And I love like when they're, yeah, they're running away and the the base is blown up and they're like, wait, what's that sound? That was so funny to me. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. It reminded me of the funny stormtroopers at the end of Mandalorian, which I, mm-hmm. that scene really worked mm-hmm. for me as well. Oh man! All right. Well, I guess we'll get on to the rest of this episode. I yeah. mean, we've we've touched upon uh, the wolves ad nauseum. I mean, I, we could go on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we have no other wolf notes, I think the only other real <laughs> interesting thing to talk about is the Tide Defender. So. I do want it to actually tie it back to the John the Baptist thing you were talking about. Weird. Um, I hadn't thought about it until you brought this up. But as we've discussed in previous episodes, the TIE Defender program was a parallel program to the Death Star. So Krennig was kind of in charge of the Death Star and Ron was in charge of the TIE Defender program. And then Tarkin was going to kind of decide which one he wants to do, right? Which one he wants to take credit for. Yeah, Yeah. basically, which one he wants to steal and then use to kill a bunch of people. Um, And so, basically, the TIE Defender program doesn't work out for reasons we will see, and that is why he goes with the Death Star. There was an interesting conversation, and again, there isn't really an answer, but they asked all of the producers in Rebels Recon whether they invested more in the TIE Defender instead of the Death Star, would the original trilogy have ended differently? And a lot of them agreed that it would have. So the argument is that the reason the TIE Defender is so dangerous is because, as you know, Star Wars ships tend to have like X-Wings and Y-Wings are super powerful, but they're slow and they're durable. But A-Wings are super fast and then they get, but they get blown up really quickly. The TIE Defender has the speed of an A-Wing or a TIE Interceptor and the maneuverability, but it also has the durability of an x-wing and it has the payload with the warheads of a y-wing so it's basically all the best ships they have tied into one and Mm -hmm. so the argument is if instead of the death star they just had a whole fleet of these things you know luke skywalker was able to take down the death star why a very small chance but he was able to take down the death star and that was a huge blow to the empire but if they had thousands of these ships instead the rebellion would have been pretty screwed because they don't have anything that they can fight that and they're already outmanned. So in your analogy, I think it is fair to say if the tie defender program had gone forward and Ezra hadn't been the one that came first and kind of foiled those plans, then Luke Skywalker may not have been able to do his thing. All right. I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. that's, that is interesting though. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. But we see some changes from when we first saw it in the 
in the series. Would you say they're cha-cha changes? Yep, they're rebels, rebels, official cha-cha-cha changes. There we go. That's why. That's the only reason we named the show. That. <laughs> we finally brought it back. Yep. Sick. We've never once mentioned David Bowie on this show, so there we go. I just that's funny it. that we haven't. That's funny. I was here for it. I'm gonna take a note. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> we need like a theme song for anything. Anytime something changes, be like, that is a Rebels Rebels Cha Cha Chang. Wow. We are <laughs> yeah, this far song. into it. Uh, yep. So, um, but obviously the paint job is new. It reminded me very much of a Kenner toy from the 70s. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, I like it. Do you like the new the new look? It feels very much. What I like about it is it feels like a prototype. Like it yeah. feels like a mm-hmm. test run, which I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also, I think they mentioned it, but the engine shape has changed a little bit. And that's because it accommodates a hyperdrive now. Mm. And there's a hatch where the hyperdrive is contained, which I think is just a fun, fun detail that they actually thought through. Like, okay, now it has a hyperdrive. So we have to have a hatch that the hyperdrive goes into, mm. which is kind of cool. I think it's uh, neat. I like yeah. it. I think it's a cool looking ship. I mm-hmm. don't know. But as much of an opinion I have on it. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Mark, how do you feel about the tie defenders? It's it's a tie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do think we might have talked about this. I do think the three wings is kind of goofy. Yeah. I yeah. could do without that. I like the symmetry of it, the 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 different symmetry compared yeah. to the other ties. I think it's less interesting than some other ties, but you know what ties are more what ties are less interesting than this one less, less interesting. interesting yeah i mean the og tie is not it's kind of iconic but i don't think it's like that cool of a design just because okay i'm just probing because i don't know yeah. enough about ties <laughs> <laughs> i've always thought the tie bomber looks kind of weird like it's kind of a cool thought but i was like when i saw it in empire strikes back the first time i was like it's that weird thing it's a little clunky yeah. Is the Interceptor the one with the kind of sharp pointed wings? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the Defender mean. essentially has Interceptor wings, but three yeah, instead of three. Uh, oh, okay. I like the Interceptor. I think those are cool. Yeah. Then we see a bunch of them in this episode too. They're parked. Yeah. Mm. They get all explodey. Mm-hmm. Well, they do the, the space fight with them too, or the, oh, yeah. Yeah, the dog definitely. fight with them. Yep. Because they don't go in space. But yeah. I, I loved the Defender from growing up playing the X Wing and TIE Fighter yeah. games. Yep. Yeah. And so the, the, Seeing those brought back was just another like, hey, you know, thanks for bringing back my childhood <laughs> into to Rebels. Yeah, totally. Uh, but if, if I step aside from that, I'm like, what like seven-year-old who watches this show cares about the TIE Defender? <laughs> yeah. That feels like such a Legends thing, too. Uh-huh. I mean, because mm-hmm. it obviously was a Legends thing. We talked about that in the past. But like, all right, we need a powerful TIE. It how has three wings. <laughs> 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 <Okay>. <laughs> Well, it's so like antithetical to the Empire's plan for fighters, too. Yeah. It, it's very video game esque in yeah. its existence to it, you know, that because it, how are you going to compete with an X Wing in a TIE Fighter versus X Wing game? Well, you have to have the Defender that has the shields <laughs> and all the things that an X Wing has. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the, the Empire wants the, the cheap, mass produced TIE Fighters with no shields and no, you know, hyperdrives and nothing. And, and who cares that they get blown up because there's just more people? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I always felt like the the tie defender program is is an interesting like afterthought exercise, you know, the the hindsight part to it of this this could exist at the same time, but the at the like the direction the empire takes is always 
Mm-hmm. Like they never really would have gone down this route. Like I, I feel like Thrawn would. I feel he's right to be in charge of that program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like he would always be fighting a losing battle in the board meetings, right? Because <laughs> he's yeah. like, "What if our pilots didn't die when we sh- when they get shot <laughs> out of the sky?" And yeah. they're like, "Details." Exactly. That really showcases <laughs> the difference between Thrawn and the rest of the Empire. Yeah, is yeah. that uh, for everyone else? It's just throw away mooks and for Thrawn, uh, one pilot can make a difference. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the scary things about Thrawn in this episode too, is that, you know, they blow up the base, they blow up all the interceptors, they steal the defender, they do the dogfight, and they, they beat all those interceptors and like, they really showed Thrawn, but really Thrawn was patient and he was like, no, we can get data from this. And in the end, like, did they actually win? <laughs> no, yeah. like Thrawn probably got way more, information and data that's going to help him win five down five steps down the road because he has that mind that can calculate the future just like you're talking about and the empire is very short-sighted do you know what i a couple thoughts about thrawn in this episode one i think you're right Mm -hmm. i think thrawn is the most dangerous um i don't just because of that calculating and uh, very slow approach to things or just Mm -hmm. methodical approach I hated the scene where <laughs> Ezra and Sabine are flying towards them and he's not moving, just shooting uh-huh. like a pistol, <laughs> which unless he has some kind of intel about how you bring down a tide defender, it seemed counter into it seemed like yeah. a counter to how smart Thrawn was because I was like, how do you know you're not going to be shot right now? Yeah. What what information do you have in confidence level that tells you there's no way they can hit me? Mm-hmm. Because it seems like I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's his hubris right there is yeah. um, both, I don't know, just an odd confidence in what, I don't know, but something. Yeah, yeah, it bugged me too. And then like thinking about it, I was able to, you know, retcon a kind of solution to it that I don't think mm-hmm. is in the episode. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> love it. The, you know, the, the first thing I thought is Thrawn is uh, actually testing whether or not they've got the ray shields up. Because yeah. he's you know, shooting a pilot, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, if he moves anywhere else, he's then closer to all of the ships that Sabine's blowing up. Oh. You know, and so while yeah. his his counterparts are cowering in fear, he is calculated in his thought process of right. there there isn't anywhere I can go that I'm not going to get shot. So if I'm going to get yeah. shot, let's see how skilled this pilot is in in their understanding of it. I don't know that that's the thought process the mm-hmm. producers had to it, oh, but it's though. the one that I'm going to put in my head cannon. I like it. Yeah. And I don't think this makes it any, any dumber because I think it's, it's kind of dumb in in the original time this happened, but it seems to be an homage to the movie Patton. Oh, um, where oh, this, that's funny. This actually happens there. There's a scene <laughs> I've never seen Patton, but I saw the scene on YouTube where uh, Patton, I'm assuming he's, he's an old guy with a gun. Um, Sounds all right. There's a fighter jet flying toward him, and he's standing there exactly like Thrawn does, shooting the pistol at the fighter yeah. jet, and like the bullets hit the ground and go underneath Patton's legs. Okay, and I think it's just kind of trying to show like, oh, he's a confident badass. He's yeah. not scared. Oh, see, interesting because when I first saw it, and I thought of another war movie, which maybe was in reference to Patton. I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, but I thought of Saving Private Ryan, where Tom Hanks is laying on, on the bridge, and uh, yeah, That's part of cool and. And I guess to the earlier point about like, it, I, I don't know, maybe it, 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 but in that scene, Tom Hanks is like, oh, I can't do anything. So yeah. I'll just stand here and this is as good as running or scrambling. So, yeah. I yeah. Know. I feel like that's, that's kind of like more desperation. Like, 
Well, mm-hmm. nothing else is going to work. This yeah. they were probably trained. It's more like toxic masculinity stuff. Like <laughs> he's a <laughs> badass. He'll try to take it down with just a gun. I love that Throm is toxic masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> It kind of probably works with with Thrawn. I bet he's yeah. like an incel or something. Yeah, that's no no comment. The only other note I really have about the Tide Defenders is, and we we saw this one other time. Like we said, they said in the episode that they have the remote like detonation thing that makes the wings pop off. So mm-hmm. that speaking of Kenner, Kenner toys yep. is yep. an homage to the Kenner toys. That's exactly <laughs> what I se- thought. Yep, in the seventies, you could pop the wings off the Tie Fighter toys to simulate battle damage so they brought yeah. that into as a little little cute tie-in which i like I, I think um and we can grab up some final comments but um one ending line I, i'd love to touch on is kanan saying that he believes ezra mm-hmm. and that this is where i don't know what is he how do you say it all paths is it all paths converge all paths, all paths are coming that. together now Oh yeah, Nexus. so yeah, and yeah, the Nexus. all paths <laughs> coming together now, and I, I don't know, I, I love that, and I love that, I love that he says, <laughs> "What does that mean?" I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's, I heard a Jedi say it once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of that thing. So I think it's a, a great quote, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Andrew, Mark, do you have any other notes or anything else you want to bring up? Um, I have in my notes from the. Uh, um, Defender versus Interceptors fight, mm-hmm. breaking the sound barrier. Awesome. Oh yeah, oh, I that thought was that was really cool. cool. Very cool. That's all. Yeah, that was <laughs> definitely cool. And I think we are ready to. Finish this up, Mike. Would you like to explain how we like to end episodes? Sure. Um, so we like to end each episode by rating the episode we've just watched on a scale from our current most favorite thing to current least favorite thing in Star Wars. So here's an example. My current most favorite thing in Star Wars is when Luke and Ben first talk in Ben's home about Jedi and a larger world and Luke's really starting to learn all this amazingly new all this amazing new stuff and none of it is explained yet so it's 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 open and it's mysterious and it's it's kind of large uh, and my current least favorite thing is just kind of the entirety of the Ray and Kylo relationship and everything about it um, but that's just me so I would put this episode on that scale as um, that time in the trailers for um, that we first saw the Vulpexes, the crystal Fox, <laughs> which I love. And I still love, we don't pop have, culture wolf, pop culture. Wolf. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> we don't, we don't have enough cool animals in star Wars. <laughs> and it's something I just love. I love cool. I love the natural elements seeping in. Um, to Star Wars because to the points we've made earlier, it's so much of a fantasy story and um, the fantasy, you know, guides are so much embodied in animals. And I love that. So that's what I'd give this. And for, for me, that's an A plus, honestly. Nice. Yeah. Cool. My favorite thing in Star Wars right now is that YouTube video of the little girl dressed as Ray at Disneyland using the force to turn bad guys away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sweet. 
My least favorite thing, though, is Ray Palpatine. So between those two things, I give this episode a gonk droid. It's just great. There's nothing not to not like. Who doesn't like gonk droids? You're a monster if you don't like gonk droids. This is an A+. I love it. Uh, Mark, do you want to tell people your favorite and least favorite thing and where you rate this episode? Yeah, my current favorite thing is uh, Timiri Blag and the promise that anyone can change the galaxy. And my least favorite thing is also Ray Palpatine. Um, and I would give this a Ray exploring uh, Octu. Um, we want to leave the conflict behind, forget about the rebels and Imperials and explore the history and mystical stuff, but still have a mystery at the end. Great. That's also an A. Nice. Andrew, how about you? All right. Uh, well, I'll say that my least favorite thing about Star Wars right now is the line, it's salt from The <laughs> Last Jedi. I loathe that moment. <laughs> I think it's great. It's uh, so, so odd to be so angry about that, but, but I respect it. <laughs> the, uh, my favorite thing right now, having watched this TIE Defender episode, is the space battle over Scarif in Rogue One. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I just, I love all things space battles. Uh, so I would place this episode in the Mandalorians fight the bounty hunters in the show Mandalorians to have the mm. baby Yoda escape, Beautiful. which is a B. It has everything that I want, um, but it's also got a few things of like, what? Why are we doing this? <laughs> cool. Respect that. Mm-hmm. So, um, Andrew, would you like to tell the people where they can find you on the internet and what do you want to plug? All right. Well, I am the GM and host for the Dicey Cantina podcast. As we spoke earlier, that's a tabletop RPG actual play show. And we're telling stories of rebels and resistance during the time of the Galactic Civil War on the planet Druckenwell in the Dicey Cantina. Uh, you can find all our shows uh, and all of that over at DiceyCantina.com or on Twitter at DiceyCantina. Uh, we also hang out quite a bit extensively on the Coruscant Knights Discord, so you can find us over there as well. Great. Mark, how about you? Um, so I run both uh, Coruscant Knights, a Star Wars anthology, Clone Wars, Coruscant, Noir all those things podcast um, and a show called the other place, which uses a similar system to tell spooky stories about ghosts and undead things. Mm. Um, both of those fall under um, my larger umbrella of Nightcast creative, which is just nightcastcreative.com, where you can find all of our episodes and links to that discord that Andrew mentioned and uh, all of our social media and stuff. Beautiful. Yeah, check it out. If you're enjoying our D&D episodes, it's really fun to check out some new mechanics because it's really about the great storytelling. Mm-hmm. So really fun to check those things out. And yeah, um, thank you for being on. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Love to be here. You can find us at Rebels Rebels Pod at Gmail and Instagram and on Twitter. Right on. And remember, until next time, be brave out there and don't look back. Don't look bad. Bye.